0: You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Indians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis, over here at 24-7 Sports. On today's show, we'll start out by talking about some of the news, uh, more Lindor talk over the weekend, what you do about nothing, but we'll still kind of break down and talk about that a bit. In the second half, we'll discuss another team, uh, see if they are fit for the Indians for trades. I will not go as long as I went on teams like the cards and other teams that have been ones that I have been going a bit in depth on for, you know, a year's plus time. Without further ado, let's just talk about Francisco Lindor as it came up again that, you know, the Indians could move him, they could not move him. Um, they're either going to move him or they're not going to move him. Um, it, it's either one of two choices. I mean, it was just this waffling back and forth of things like that. Like, the Indians could trade him, they could also not trade him. His value will never be higher. It's like well, yes, all of that is true. They're gonna either trade him or not trade him. Those are the only choices. And yes, with two years of full control, his value is never going to be higher. Now the comparison people make is they talk about, well, the Orioles uh, were not impressed going into the final gear of the value that they got for Machado and Could that be a situation for the Indians where, you know, that will make them want to trade now, make that move, go trade Lindor now because they heard that the Orioles didn't get much from Machado. Well, the Orioles didn't get much for anyone. They were not very good at things. That front office was not good at pretty much anything outside of signing free agents. And that is why no one is left from that front office. That is why that team is in such a catastrophic hole right now. But more than that, okay, here's the one advantage Manny Machado had on Francisco Lindor. He hit free agency at 26. He would turn 27 um, during that season. So the 26-27 season, Lindor will turn 28 the year he's a free agent. So Machado is younger, but here's the big, big difference. So Francisco Lindor, over the last uh, three years, if I'm looking at like his his something like his weighted on base percentage, it's like 353, 368, 349. Machado, the year that he, his final three years in Baltimore, not counting the half season, 328, 369, 370. Now you notice his overall offensive production was higher, but the problem was, was the year before he hit free agency, he had his worst season, a 781 OPS. He still hit 33 home runs. Um, and that was still better than the, uh, the season. I, I feel like he had this year with the, um, with the diamond or time the Padres, but, he was also a third baseman most of that time uh Lindor is a gold glove winning shortstop he has been a bit healthier than Machado who had a few bumps and bruises over the years um you know notably his uh, uh after his second full season but yeah that down year the year where he was just a, he was a good producer but not a great producer uh it that that is a noticeable difference Uh, along with the fact that you know he was essentially a third baseman while Lindor is an all-world shortstop Lindor is the best shortstop in baseball that's it there's not really room for debate or argument in that right now Um, I mean there's always someone who can make the opportunity you know make something of it but when you look at what he does offensively as a switch hitter and his defense um, you know I do have fan bases trying to be like well you know I think he shouldn't be worth that much because his numbers have been down this a little this year it's like well he did miss 20 games this year with his uh his injury to start the year and he still ended up uh, with 32 home runs the impressive thing is that he doesn't strike out a lot you know that that this year was a high water mark of the last few years at 15 percent low water mark for walk rate at seven percent but those numbers are relatively close he hits for a decent average and he's he's on the cusp of being a 40 home run guy like that's that's legit he's gonna be a in each of those years where he had like 33 38 and 32 uh home runs he had 44 42 and 40 doubles so you're looking at a guy who's good for 80 extra base hits a year um while being one of the top three defensive shortstops in baseball I don't think there's room for comparison yes at the end of the day what uh what the Orioles got from Machado was not much for half a season they got one top 50 prospect And three interesting college producers um, who had then, or not necessarily interesting college producers, um, three interesting players who had been producers in the minor leagues. Um, The shortstop from Xavier, shortstop third baseman from Xavier is why I I made that statement about college producers. At the time, he had hit a ton of home runs when they acquired him. Um, Lindor should get more than that. Again, I, I make the basis if that's what six months or you know half a season of Machado got if you want two years of uh Lindor it should be like six times that because Lindor has more value Uh, if it's just four times that then you need one of the top prospects in baseball and then the equivalent of four uh producers who are legitimate uh prospects four times that I mean it's he's he is going to net a king's ransom. And that's why like most of these organizations, it doesn't make sense. The Yankees make zero sense. Yankees fans keep coming at me and being like, well, we can give you Michael Anjouar Devi Garcia, Esteban Florial, and then somebody like Gil. Yeah, Gil throws 100 miles an hour. But the thing I have to point out is like every team has somebody like Gil anymore. Um, I'm blanking on his first name. But every team has that guy who hits 99 and 100 and doesn't do anything else. Who's a purely one pitch guy who Uh, may or may not turn into a major league player. Like every organization has like three of those guys anymore. Um, The Yankees are far from the only ones. His is better. Gil is better than the Indians equivalent. But yeah, he's not an impressive prospect. Devi Garcia, his age relative to level is impressive, but he feels like one of those guys where, you know, he's getting correctly pushed and he's performing well and the stats are there, but you do worry about the control numbers and then you just can't get past the fact that he's five foot nine like that is even amongst someone like me who defends pitcher height that is small that is five foot nine 140 is something we have never seen in a starter never ever so I mean Pedro Martinez towers over this guy and he was kind of the you know waving the banner for the the dominant small pitcher he's a reliever until proven otherwise for me because of the control being eh but at, at the age an eh can easily turn into an okay and This isn't to say he's a bad prospect, and I think he's going to be a very good reliever, uh, a very, very good reliever, but there's a reason why he's not really a top 50 prospect anymore. It's because until he gets proven otherwise, there's no way you can view him as a starter. That is well below the normal size. The other guy who always comes up is Estevan Florial. Estevan Florial is not an interesting prospect. He is not a good prospect. Nobody wants Estevan Florial. Like, nobody wants Estevan Florial. I'll say it again. I'll say it a third time nobody wants Esteban Florial. He just got done repeating high A. He is 21 years of age. And this year at high A over 74 games, 237, 297, 383, a 33% strikeout rate in the re- repetition of the level. Um, and this is actually his third time through when you get right down to it. He has been completely overwhelmed since that 2017 season 2018 did not leave much reason for optimism and 2019 he somehow played even worse Esteban Florio has no value I'm sorry no team wants to add him at this point that's just the way of it if a guy is repeating a level and performing worse he is no longer considered a top prospect by anybody's book what is Tops? Is BlueChew.com our constantly great sponsor? BlueChew.com is the little blue pill that is chewable, gets your bloodstream quicker, allows you to get to the fun activities quicker, and they are so confident in their product they're giving it away for free. You just have to go over to BlueChew.com, use the promo code MLB, and you'll have to pay five bucks for shipping, but you can try what you can try their product and see why it is that they are so confident that they give this stuff away for free, knowing you want to come back and get more uh male enhancement in baseball has gone all the way back to rafael palmero and uh, a competitor who we won't name so instead of using someone who's currently out of the hall of fame uh even though he has numbers that should get him in because of cheating use bluechew.com i am a much more reputable sponsor than uh than good old raffi okay so there's one other player that comes up when the yankees are like lindor yeah give him to us and that's miguel Antuar. Now, Miguel Anjuar a year ago uh, had a good year. He, 27 home runs, 47 doubles is really impressive to me. The concern here is the root 4% walk rate. 16% strikeout is another positive, but he was also kind of a butcher at third base and most predict he's going to move to first. So you've had a first base only prospect who in the minors peaked at 16 home runs, um, was always a good hitter. I think he'll be a above average major league first baseman. But he is coming off injury uh missing significant time due to a you know played in twelve games this year so you're you're talking about a central piece, maybe the centerpiece in this deal being a player who's going to move to first base and is coming off a major injury, a undersized pitcher who's going to have to end up in a in the pen and a outfielder who's been stuck at the same level three years in a row. Yes, that's not going to net you much. that's just the way of baseball. And that's kind of where the Yankees are. They don't have much else. Jason Dominguez, if they include him, he's still a 16-year-old. Like, for a lot of teams, it's interesting. Those low-A lottery tickets don't work as centerpieces. Teams want something closer to the bigs. So Dominguez doesn't do much to move the needle of this. Uh, Clint Frazier, he hasn't been able to break through yet. Uh, If we look at his numbers this year, when he was with the Yankees, he was performing pretty well. But... The caveat there is the nearly 29% strikeout rate, which is a 6% walk rate. What made him so successful at his peak with the Indians was the jump in his walk rate. His walk percentage um, went from up to 10, 11, and 10%. We've seen it with the Yankees, kind of dip and rise. And this year in the majors, it was it was not good. When he got down to uh, to AAA, he even spent a little time in Double he, A. He was. He was kind of, we imagine he was likely pouting. The performance just wasn't there. But it change, doesn't change the fact that this is a guy who, you know, 2017 people expected him to kind of pull down and keep a job. And 2018, a little bit of time. 2019, a little bit of time. But each year the Yankees have looked to replace him. And that kind of speaks volumes to his uh, his value. That's how he's going to be viewed. Is kind of like, well, why is he not, uh, why haven't you given him the opportunity why is that not occurred yet? And yeah, his, his star has fallen pretty significantly at this point. It's funny to think of the time when, uh, you know, he was drafted before Austin Meadows and those two players are always going to be together. And, and Meadows was always the, um, he was the bigger, more athletic, very humble guy. And Frazier was the brash, toolsy, uh, confident kid. And it's been interesting over the years to see, them kind of rise and fall against each other um you know Frazier ended up going first over Meadows The Meadows had projected higher in most places um Meadows just flew past him in the minors in terms of like ranking then Frazier flew past him uh Meadows really kind of scuffled for a few years eventually gets traded Frazier is at his peak when he gets traded both go to new organizations Uh, Meadows got a chance to play and Frazier is still looking for that chance well, I also, while we're talking about the Yankees, I want to talk about Matt Blake. And we talked about this a little bit on the podcast last week. And it was kind of funny after the podcast. I'm like, why? You know, like, I know this, but I feel like I've had some more. And I'd forgotten that this is someone who was a follower of mine on Twitter that, you know, the Yankees new pitching coach and Indians pitching uh, former, you know, a major part of their pitching development had uh, I'd had some interactions with. And that's why it stuck out even more. Now, I, I've never met him face to face when you talked to pitching in the system his name would come up he's basically how did he have such a meteoric rise really smart really intelligent knew his stuff and was always looking to get an edge he was going to if there was something new that could help he was going to dive into it and it's part of what made him successful you combine that um, natural intelligence and the desire to learn more and more and more with an 80 grade work ethic and um, you know, Matt Blake made a name for himself very quickly, well-respected, very big part of the Indians development. Basically every single pitcher who has made it to the majors, you know, within the past two to three years, he's had a hand in like a pretty significant hand in that player's development. And it's just terrible that he's going away. The Indians did not want to lose him. I mean, they raised, uh, gave him the title two days before he left of, uh, you know, director of pitching development, the Indians the last two years in the draft. I, I talked about this on Twitter. I can't remember if I talked about it on the pod or not. You know, they went for these really high ceiling pitchers and guys. I am sure that Matt Blake scouted and was confident that he could be like, yeah, these are high ceiling guys, but I know how to work with them. There was stuff there, and they they had these whole approaches that seemed to be kind of around their ability. In terms of pitching development and this is one of the massive pieces of their pitching development it's not to say that there aren't other guys in there doing great work there are it's a whole team approach but when you make him the director of pitching development it kind of speaks to just how much of an impact and how much he was going to have on those drafts and those players so it's going to be interesting to see how the Indians if they change approach next year or anything like that how big of a difference does this make I mean it's always hard to judge but um I still stand and think that uh, he is losing Blake to the Yankees is likely to be the biggest loss the Indians make this offseason. You know, they, yes, they could trade away Lindor, but you're hoping when they trade Lindor, they're going to get some value back. So that loss, while it's going to sting, um, it balances. This is just a straight loss. There's there's nothing coming back. I mean, the, it's like one can make a case the Indians' biggest free agent loss is like Tyler Clippard or Yasiel Puig. Um, both kind of replaceable level guys. Matt Blake is not replaceable um, at this point in time. They're going to have to keep going. And it's it's really interesting to see the Indians have this minor league developmental track of original thinkers. You know, it talks about that, like, James Harris, who was, you know, who's in charge of development. He had been with the Eagles the year before he came to Cleveland. They went for guys who weren't necessarily baseball guys. They went for people with thinking and were willing to try new approaches and they took a very advanced way with player development and pitching development and then you get up to the majors and they have one of the oldest school pitching coach slash manage combinations in all of baseball so it's really weird that they have all the new school approaches and then you get to the majors and it's about as old school as it can get I mean I would have personally let Willis go to keep Blake but I also don't think the Indians um were really in the market there, Blake was a, an East Coast guy, and I think that uh, he probably wanted to get back there. I think they probably couldn't compete even if they had had the pitching uh, coach opening to offer him, but uh, it doesn't change anything it stinks it's uh you know we'll see how it goes but yeah they they're losing a central part of their pitching development, which has been highly successful. The guy who was a centerpiece in a lot of ways to how they'd approached the draft the past few years they'll continue going there's a lot of great guys in that system a lot of great names there's a reason why this organization keeps getting rated time and time again by others when it comes to managers when it comes to coaching when it comes to all of that stuff um it is interesting that it's never like sandy alomar who friend fans are afraid the indians will lose it's never the guys who are up in the majors it's always the the guys in the minors or the guys in management that is what gets rated it's not the roster as much as i mean there was mickey Callaway, and we saw how that turned out though There also was Kevin Cash, so I guess it's relative. And we're running a little low here at the back end, so I'm just going to do a little bit of talk about the Cubs, and that will continue into tomorrow's podcast. So the Cubs, uh, news came out this weekend that they're going to look to move Wilson Contreras, their catcher. It makes some sense as they have Victor Carantini uh, waiting to step up. Now, Contreras has always been a great hitter. He has always left a little to be uh, desired as a defender behind the plate. The market, in terms of catching, Yasmani Grandel is one of the best offensive catchers in baseball. Um, Travis DeArnd was great for Tampa a year ago. Jason Castro is a solid kind of backup defensive type. But Contreras is a back-to-back all-star coming off his best season. Uh, He's good for for just a a little bit of everything. The defense is still not there. Uh, This, of course, is kind of their major trade asset. And I'll be curious to see how that develops, where it goes. Cubs Mets could be a fun team to consider for that. With the uh, the uh, the Cubs have a massive need of pitching that's going to kind of lead to tomorrow's podcast. Keep that in mind. The Cubs' pitching depth, starting pitching depth, but having outfield depth. So that's that's, that's the tease for tomorrow. That there is a world where a Cubs Indians trade makes a lot of sense, as the Cubs have a few players in that outfield situation and not enough spots for all of them going forward. They need starting pitching. They need relievers. They need a lot of things when it comes to pitching. Now the Indians also need relievers, so they probably can't help them out there. But um, their pen's a mess. The rotation is kind of a bit of a shamble right now. And offensively, they have a lot of guys getting close to free agency, which means they're kind of set up for the next few, year, maybe two, and then this is a team that could quickly fall off as they have one of the weakest minor leagues in all of baseball. Um they're still stuck with that Jason Hayward contract as well, which is uh one of the more onerous in the league. But the Cubs. Tomorrow they'll be one of our big discussions, barring any news or deals or something that comes out tomorrow. So yeah, look for it. Indians Cubs. Um not quite as fun as it was the last time, but still definitely some names to talk about, some players to know. And some trades that will make sense for both organizations. As always, this has been Jeff Ellis of twenty four seven sports. You can find me online on Twitter at Jeff M L B Draft, and you can find my writing at Scouting Baseball. Thank you for listening and go tribe.